0: Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your fill-in host, Eric Ferris, and I'm joined today by teaching pastor Clayton Keenan and third-time returning guest, raw spaghetti noodle-eating, <laughs> Streamwood campus pastor, Corey Shoemate. Thanks for coming back, Corey. It'll never die. It'll never die.
1: It, no. I wonder how many people are listening that that heard that original episode. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If
0: you go back through the podcast list and you find the two other episodes where Corey joined us and listen to the first one, you will find out that Corey admitted that he used to snack on, is it raw spaghetti noodles? Just out of the box. And then Clayton made fun of him and then realized that as a kid, Clayton used to eat raw ramen bricks. Which is only
1: marginally better. Marginally
2: better. Although I was reflecting on that after the first podcast and I remember that I used to fill my uh, uh, like I would have a half bath in my in my house and we'd I'd fill plug the sink and I'd fill it with hot water and I would dip the spaghetti noodles in a a washroom sink. <laughs> what? To, <laughs> that's disgusting. That's often, this is before I mean, anybody who knows me at all knows I'm a germaphobe. It, it, like, that's it, bizarre. It, 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 it is cringeworthy to think about it now.
0: <laughs> so gross. Corey also has the distinct honor of winning one of the awards at our one-year you anniversary did. episode for making up the word snacktivities. He called eating his raw spaghetti noodles a snacktivity.
2: Which I need people to write in and, and acknowledge. Confir- I didn't, yeah. Confirm, yeah, confirm that that's Confirm that that's actually a real word, yeah.
1: I don't know about that
0: doesn't matter if it's real or not you won an award all right so obviously nikki is not here with us today nikki often has questions for us clayton so i have a question for you clayton and you Corey. We're, we're heading into the summer months so a lot of people take vacations so we're talking about vacations you get a week off do you prefer to stay at home or travel
1: are my children with me uh let's assume that you have to take the whole family if you travel <laughs> Uh, I, I, unlike the rest of my family, I like a staycation. Like I want, I want to do the, I want to, I want to like a week of, of Saturdays. That's what I want, where it's the, not a lot going on. We just kind of hang out around town, do whatever, because it's no decisions, no nothing. But if we, we go drive somewhere, we do whatever, you're always like figuring out the next thing. And part of what I want to break from is the decision-making and any pressure to okay, do anything. That
2: makes sense. I was like, it's, Six months of lockdown, and you're like, I'll stay home. I'm
0: like, no.
1: Corey, staycation
0: or vacation? 100% travel. Yeah.
2: Assuming that there's no... I'll bring my kids with me. That's fine. I don't mind wrangling them. Although, airfare tickets are crazy. Like We considered going to Oregon, and that was bonkers. But if there's no financial restrictions, I'm going to take my kids, and we're going to travel around.
0: Yeah, one of the few benefits of the pandemic was airfare was... Awesomely cheap, seventy-five dollars to go anywhere in uh, the world. It was so good. It was so good. What would you uh, do, Eric? Uh, I like to travel, mm. but I am with Clayton. I don't like to make decisions, so I want to go to a place and then I just want to wake up when I wake up, mm. drink coffee, and then just kind of sit around, stare at a river, mm. not make any decisions. So I don't like like aggressive schedules mm. and super active vacations. I just want to go to a place and just be. Mm. All right. So next question:
1: fly or drive? Uh, I like I driving. Um, I mean, obviously, there are certain places you wouldn't want to drive to because it takes take forever, but the, the road trip mm-hmm. experience, that, that's something we did when we were kids, and so we would drive around in a 15-passenger van all around the country, so we did that, and I kind of like doing that. It's fun to see what, you mm-hmm. know, what you're covering as you do it, and mm-hmm. so I kind of enjoy that.
2: I'm going to say drive in, a, in an RV. Drive in an Ooh. RV? Oh, we, we love it. Cash Scott and Keller hooked on the idea of, like, getting an RV and renting, like driving it across the country. So is this an idea or is well, something got, you've so done got, so far? So we've, got a, so we've got a wheelchair kiddo. And so, like, yeah. the, the van thing and it being cramped, driving thousands of miles, it's not fun for anybody, but especially for us. So the idea of having an RV where kids could, you know, stretch out and lay out and, and have fun to – got a dog. It would be great to bring our dog
1: to RV. Yeah. Best. So. I, but you haven't tried it yet. This is, no, this is like, no. one day you're going to do no, it. No,
0: I would love to. I'd be – Totally down with the RV if I didn't have to drive it. Mm. So it would be really fun mm. to travel in an RV, have a driver, so you can just be playing cards and doing whatever. Yeah. Well, but yeah. if I had to drive it the whole time, that's more work. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I'd rather be just driving my minivan than driving an RV. Sure. Sure. I'm totally an air travel guy. I don't like driving. It's to me, it's the necessary evil required mm. to get from point A to point B. Oh. I find nothing enjoyable about it. Mm. All right, uh, one more vacation question: beach or mountain?
1: Mountain. mountain, mountain, all the way. Why? I hate the beach. I hate <laughs> wow. the beach. I go to the beach because it makes my children happy. So, uh, why are you but so It's tan? like How almost. So tan, <laughs> he squinted. <laughs> he like his oh face
0: scrunched with anger when he said, "I hate the beach." I wow! The, th-
1: this summer, this summer, we we are going to a, a, a beach along Lake Michigan, not like a legit ocean or whatever. And I like I'm already kind of dreading it. <laughs> I'm already because the the feeling of sand on my skin is. Oh awful like it drives me crazy i hate it mm. so yeah because you you're, like even later in the day you like feel it in your hair or whatever you find it places It's oh, like oh no it's that's, gross that's
2: fair there's nothing to do at beaches you um, get
1: su- you get sunburned what do you mean there's nothing to do at beaches <sighs> oh i'm gonna either i'm gonna sit there what is
0: there to do it in- well, all of us feel no, slightly uncomfortable
1: get- that we're we're half dressed like it's just very weird we're half dressed <laughs> My it's last less, memory than half, beach, it's we, less than half.
2: We went to the Bahamas as a family because it was like my parents' 25th anniversary. My sister graduated high school. Cash and I were graduating college. Went to the Bahamas for like a few days. And Cash had like spent way too much time out in the sun because she's a beach person, and we're standing in the grocery store like a half hour afterwards, and then she like she's hugging me, and then she she just goes limp, <laughs> and she she collapses from he, like heat stroke in the grocery store afterwards. So that's like that's my last great beach ex- experience. So I'm like, let's do mountain. Do mountains.
0: Mountain sounds great. What about you? Beach. Yeah? Playing in the ocean. Playing in the waves. Throwing a frisbee on the beach. Funnel cakes. French fries. Funnel funnel cakes (laughs) full of sand. Ice (laughs) cream. Like food and beaches. They don't mix to me. Ugh. Everything about the beach is amazing. I like the, mountain. the mountains too, but I'll take the ocean over a mountain any day. <laughs> Starts listing foods you can have on a beach. <laughs> you get <have> a pizza <laughs> yeah. on a beach. You get tacos on a beach. You can. Like have, you can eat anything. You can't have those on a mountain. Yeah, Those are so great. <laughs> <laughs> you go to a beach where there's a boardwalk and it's all right there. Funnel cake, yeah, beach it is for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm persuaded. Oh gosh, well we better jump into the text because now I'm getting judged by these two. All right, so. Clayton is the comma guy today. All right.
1: Clayton, lead the way. All right. So we are in the book of 2 Kings. We've been reading along through First and Second Kings, which really is one book, but it's kind of split into two. Uh, this is the history of Israel and all the different kings that they have had. And what we're finding out is that most of them are not that great. Um, there is one uh, king that they zoom in on uh, and spend a lot of time. That's the King, king Ahab. And there was a prophet who was continually confronting him as a guy named Elijah. And at one point, uh, God says to Elijah, okay, basically, this is going to take another generation of addressing this. So you need to appoint uh, the next king after, after Ahab, and you need, to, um, you need to appoint the next prophet after you. So he goes and he uh, appoints a guy named Elisha uh, that we talked about before, and a king named Jehu who's going to come in and God says, I'm going to use them uh, to kind of continue the work of what Elijah was doing. So going to kind of clean up the mess that Ahab uh, had made. So we're going to pick up on the story where uh, King Jehu uh, comes into power. And one of his very first acts uh, as king um, is this story. So we're going to uh, read in second Kings chapter 10, starting in verse 18.
0: Then Jehu brought all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little, Jehu served him much. Now summon all the prophets of Baal, all his servants and all his priests. See that no one is missing because I'm going to hold a great sacrifice to Baal. Anyone who fails to come will no longer live. But Jehu was acting deceptively in order to destroy the servants of Baal. Jehu said, call an assembly in honor of Baal. So they proclaimed it. Then he sent word throughout Israel and all the servants of Baal came. Not one stayed away. They crowded into the temple of Baal until it was full from one end to the other. And Jehu said to the keeper of the wardrobe, bring robes for all the servants of Baal. So he brought out robes for them. Then Jehu and Jehanadab, son of Rechab, went into the temple of Baal. Jehu said to the servants of Baal, look around and see that no one who serves the Lord is here with you, only servants of Baal. Then he went to make sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had posted eighty men outside with this warning, If one of you lets any of the men I am placing in your hands escape, it will be your life for his life. As soon as Jehu had finished making the burnt offering, he ordered the guards and officers, Go in and kill them, let no one escape. So they cut them down with the sword. The guards and officers threw the bodies out and then entered the inner shrine of the temple of Baal. They brought the sacred stone out of the temple of Baal and burned it. They demolished the sacred stone of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal and people have used it for a a latrine to this day. So Jehu destroyed Baal worship in Israel. However, he did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit the worship of the golden calves at Bethel and Dan. The Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in accomplishing what is right in my eyes, and have done to the house of Ahab all I had in mind to do, your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. Yet Jehu was not careful to keep the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit. In those days the Lord began to reduce the size of Israel. Haziel overpowered the Israelites throughout their territory east of the Jordan in all the land of Gilead, the region of Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh, from Aroer by the Arnon Gorge through Gilead to Bashan. As for the other events in Jehu's reign, all he did and all his achievements, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Jehu rested with his ancestors and was buried in Samaria, and Jehoahaz, his son, succeeded him as king. The time that Jehu reigned over Israel and Samaria was
1: 28 years. All right, let's start with the O in comma, which is observation. So we're just looking here and seeing what we see, uh, things that are repeated, things that strike us, things that uh, tell us something about God or, or anything that uh, jumps out at us. So what do you observe?
0: Mass murder.
1: <laughs> yeah, a lot of people die here. This is a bloody, bloody chapter, bloody story.
2: The first part of the chapter is even bloodier but yeah uh that this passage starts off with him uh jehu telling a lie right Ahab served baal a little uh jehu will serve him much now summon all the prophets of Baal
1: yeah it's a, it's it is interesting because he's he's doing something that is mm-hmm. deliberately good mm-hmm. like he's he's trying to correct something yes um and first of all it involves killing people. So mm-hmm. that, that makes us a little uncomfortable, but mm-hmm. we can talk about that. Mm-hmm. But it also involves a lie, mm-hmm. which in my mind, that's not the only story in the Bible where someone tells a lie for something that, that mm-hmm. is intended right. to be good. You know, the, the people saving the babies from, uh, mm-hmm. you know, getting thrown into the Ray-Hab. Nile river and things like that. Um, but it is. Like Rahab it, it, and
2: the spies. Yeah. Rahab and the <laughs> spies, yeah. those kind
1: of things. And so you, you, you say, okay, is there some exception here? Is this okay? Or mm-hmm. is it just, Something that happened. Right.
2: There's no commentary on it.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, there, are, there are things that are descriptive, not prescriptive. Right. They're just the way it, the way it happened.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What else do we see?
0: Uh, something that is striking to me is verse 30. The Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in accomplishing what is right in my eyes. Yeah. That's striking.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He lied mm-hmm. and killed a bunch of people. And so you have to reconcile reconcile that i read this passage
2: to kasha and i was like sorry i'm kind of outing her but i was like this is a crazy passage i gotta go do a podcast on this (laughs) and she's like it's okay i mean god you know that people are people are dumb and god is gracious and i'm like no it's that's not what it says (laughs) (laughs) it says this verse the lord says you've done well right what's right yeah yeah
1: yeah so okay so this i I think this this is worth exploring here because Mm. uh this feels like the tension of the passage for us that this is not sometimes we say you know what God uses all sorts of people. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he uses, you know, uh, bra- bad mm-hmm. things in order to accomplish his purposes anyway, and so on. But this is a situation where um, at least this part of Jehu's life, okay, mm-hmm. so there's some things that he is obviously critiqued on, some that where he is judged mm-hmm. uh, for not going all the way. But this particular thing of ending Baal worship mm-hmm. in in Israel, um, and presumably this event of getting rid of the priests of, of mm-hmm. Baal, yeah. um, is is something he's commended for. Mm -hmm. So um, how do we feel about that? Like what, what, like how do we reconcile the fact that, you know, you know, killing a lot of people ought to be something that we'd say, I don't think we should do that. And yet here he's commended for it.
2: Mm.
0: Well, if you start thinking about the world's need for justice and judgment, you start asking questions like, well, what do you, then you can get into the conversation about what do you think about capital punishment? What do you think about putting someone in prison for their entire life? You know, like you, you get into all these questions of what is actually just and good. And at some point evil has to be addressed. Um, So part of, part of that thought intersects with this, with this passage um, but man, it's so hard for me in my, in my head, maybe it's cause I've watched too many movies. How many like Western movies have you seen or where they just take all the women and children and they put them in the, you know, the one room church building and they shut the door and they burn down the building. Right. So uh, this, when I read this yeah. text, I have a hard time mm-hmm. in my brain separating that random act of violence from what's going on here. Mm-hmm.
2: A couple thoughts come to mind. One is just to remember uh, that the entire purpose of Israel is to be a light to the nations and to be a people who are wholly devoted to God. So this is not, this is not external, you know, uh, surrounding countries or whatever. Uh, this is God's people who have compromised, who have sold themselves out to local gods who are nothing. Um, so they've compromised their very purpose. That's the thing number one. Thing number two is, uh, you know, uh, we tend to want to arrive at a place of comfort with pa- passages like this. Like, uh, Hey, I, I can, this, this can sit well with me. Like I think that's our first instinct. Um, I'm not sure that that's the goal. I'm not sure that we ought to walk away from a passage like this and be like, okay, I can put a bow on that and feel great about it. I think it's okay to be disturbed in some sense by this. So if you think you have to resolve th- to some extent, the, that theodicy problem of like God putting a stamp on something that looks horrific, but, just the ugliness of it and the fact that people are dying and, and and whatever something in us goes that's not right this is this is this is really broken and I think that feeling of that not sitting well with us is something that we don't need to resolve
1: yeah there, there's there's some instinct there that is rightly formed that we say that this feels intense, but there's also something about it that's that needs to be calibrated mm-hmm. you know so here here's here's something that um is very different for us in the twenty first century versus Almost any time before uh, maybe sixteen hundreds. Okay, so that, like this is this is not like just ancient history, um, but we tend to think of religion as something that is a personal matter. Mm-hmm. So we can go about our public lives, and we can all have different religions, and we may disagree with each other, and avoid you know getting in arguments about that or whatever. Um, but you go home, and you kind of on your own time, you do your thing that that is meaningful to you but we all try to function as best we can. Whether we do that very well or not is is a, is a good question, but we all intend to. We say, this is your business, right? Um, for most societies and most of history, people uh, recognize that religion was not actually a private matter. Like if you say, this is the most important thing in the universe, like these are the things that matter. These are the things that ought to be honored. These are the things that ought to direct our lives. That's gonna have ripple effects in every area of society. And so- um, for most places, bringing together um, what what happens in government and public life mm-hmm. and society and culture and what you believe about God and gods mm-hmm. and and so on um, made a ton of sense. They said this like this affects those things. It's not a private matter. So um, if you if you went to ancient Rome and you said who who's kind of responsible for religion here, you'd be like Caesar. Mm. He's he's honored as a god or at least a high priest. Mm. If you go to a, an ancient, you know, Babylonian society or Egyptian society or whatever, and you say, Tell us about religion, they'd be talking about mm-hmm. their civic leaders. And so in Israel, which was a theocracy, so God had said, mm-hmm. We're gonna I'm gonna set up a country here, he knows like who you worship is not a matter of like, well, it's just a private thing. So we look at it as a private thing. We say, you know what, I'm not gonna, we're not gonna punish you for that. And we certainly aren't gonna get violent about that. Mm-hmm. We've seen what that does mm-hmm. in society. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's probably a good thing, but there is also a truth that says, you know what? This has ripple effects. And so God deals with it intensely. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an explicit capital crime in the Torah, in, in the law, mm-hmm. that if someone, if someone in Israel, who's supposed to be in covenant with God, worships another God, they would be executed. Mm-hmm. You know, so like there, there is something to that that um, we assume it's private. So we say, no, 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 you're not going to punish someone for that. Mm-hmm. They assumed it was public, and so you dealt with it
2: mm-hmm.
1: publicly, um, which is still uncomfortable. But it's it's a you know a different mm-hmm. frame than we we come with.
0: Yeah. And I, now for a less insightful observation, <laughs> how do you burn a stone? <clears throat> yeah what do you do 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 with that (laughs) two different times they removed all the stones and burned them hmm I
1: don't know what you do with
0: that well I'll tell you what I did I went to the study notes in the NIV study Bible and then it referred me back to 1 Kings chapter 14 verse 23 uh, where it is also talking about these stacked stones that essentially make poles or pillars Mm -hmm. and then it takes you back to the mosaic law that talks about not building these stone pillars to worship other false gods. So it doesn't answer the question about (laughs) how How you burn burn a stone. (laughs) But as we are trying to demonstrate on this podcast, how to enjoy, understand, and apply God's word, sometimes looking at those study notes and it says, no, go look at the note on 1 Kings 14, 23. And you read that note and then it tells you about the Mosaic law. So sometimes understanding the Bible is, checking out the study notes and then going to where it tells you to go, jumping around, doing those kinds of things. But I don't know how you burn a stone. There's also a
2: sense in which if you've carved uh, a piece of stone, presumably pretty carefully, and it's a, it's a religious artifact and whatever, just th- throwing it a fire defaces it enough to make it functionally useless. Yeah. You know? and, and so if they're trying to get rid of the thing that people are gathering around, throwing it a fire is not a bad idea.
0: Yeah. Someone listening at home, do us a favor, go in your backyard, grab some stones, burn, stone. <laughs> burn them. And then email us. Send us a picture. Tell us how you burn a stone. Mm. Yeah. Mm.
1: Podcast at BibleSavvy.com. There it is. <laughs> there, yo. I would have asked Nikki. So, so, Nikki. Nikki, Nikki wasn't right here, so someone us. had to jump in. What, what other observations you got here?
2: Jacob seems to be enjoying him, himself a little much. And this, this carries b- before this passage as well. But he, he's sort of like, there, there is a, there's a difference between him, him doing something that God commissioned him to do. And him doing it with a sort of glee, or you know, ca- callousness minimally, but also a sense of like he's he seems to be enjoying himself. Yeah, and and of course you see, even previously he's killing, um, he's killing the king of Judah's family. So he is, um, who come to visit him. So he's actually already gone beyond the scope of his commissioned. Killing as hard as you know that is yeah. to even say, but you can tell like this is this is not he's not doing this begrudgingly he's not saying okay this is what faithfulness and obedience looks like he he's like a firecracker that's just been let let loose and he he seems s- sort of out of control
1: yeah bloodthirsty yeah this is this is I think part of the reason why when uh, Jesus shows up he tells his followers who know who know that judgment will come mm-hmm. one day right like they, like okay the King Jesus is here. And the king is supposed to rid the land of idolatry. So they know mm-hmm. that this is, this is going to happen. Jesus really deliberately says, don't take that kind of judgment into your hands. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it's because of uh, people like Jehu, mm-hmm. where if you, if you give permission to say, we're going to ex- execute some judgment in this way, mm-hmm. it, it tends to overflow the banks of justice. Mm-hmm. Like it, it isn't the way Jesus would wield the sword. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he takes the sword out of the, his people's hands, which is, which is part of the reason why um, as Christians, we say we aren't going to punish people for, mm-hmm. um, you know, the false religion or whatever, that yeah. sort of thing. Um, and when people have done that, it's gone really poorly mm-hmm. because you end up with people who get power hungry or they enjoy the, they, they revel in the yeah. the violence or whatever. Um, it gets really messy. Like re- really what we found out is there's only one King who can handle carrying that mm-hmm. sword and he'll show up one day, and he'll he'll deal with those things. But he says, "Don't." Yeah. That's not our job because you end up like Jehu. Right.
0: Is there another massacre by Jehu, or is this
1: the only <laughs> the, one? Sound, sounds like a, 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 it's a, it's a like scent, several in a row. A yeah. sent <laughs> massacre by Jehu. <laughs> it's like <laughs> obsession.
2: Uh,
0: yeah.
1: You, there, it,
2: you, just before this, there's like piles of heads at the city gates, and 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 all this. There's
0: yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that when he...
2: Chapter 9 and 10 are full of Jehu tearing through town.
0: Is that when he kills all of Ahab's people? Yeah. is before this? Yes. yes. Okay. All right. I was a little confused because in... Gosh, I'm sorry, I'm jumping around here, but mm. in the book of Hosea, Hosea is a prophet. Hosea actually condemns Jehu mm. for a massacre much like this one. Huh. but it's the one before it. Hmm. So it's the, cause they call it, cause Hosea calls it the massacre at Jezreel, mm. which is the one where he kills all of Ahab's, Ahab's associates. Is yeah. that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So he's actually, this is, this That's is really right. So you have one massacre that the Lord seems to endorse and say, well done. And yeah. then another massacre that the Lord's prophet is condemns him
1: for. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. This will make your brain melt it is well it feels a lot like when we were looking at the book of judges and god was using those judges right. for for purposes like he he wanted to take care of some enemies yes but it was really clear yes. that these judges are not commendable people of mm-hmm. character mm-hmm. and that they they went beyond the bounds of what mm-hmm. was right mm-hmm. and it was it's hard to disentangle like here's the assignment from god and here's mm-hmm. their own you know sinful yes. chaos yeah what 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 other uh what other observations do you have here the
0: only other thing that sticks out to me is the the fact that he's promised that four generations will reign. Mm-hmm. So his family, if I have this right, has the longest reign of any family in the succession in the, in the, of the in kings. the northern kingdom, I yeah. I think so. Is mm-hmm. that right? It's about 100 cuz it ends up being about 100 years. So if you look at the the king's timelines, mm. I think he ends up Could having be. the longest reign and if you associate length of reign with <clears throat> the Lord's pleasure, right? Cause God is deposing people mm-hmm. and, you know, ending their reigns if they do evil. And so four generations is a long time. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he
2: has this zeal, right? For coming down hard on the Baal worshipers. And of course, then you see verse 28 Destroyed all Baal worship in Israel. However, he did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. The worship of the golden calves at Bethel and Dan. <laughs> so, it is a. He's clearly a mixed bag. He's clearly somebody who has no tolerance for a certain type of sin, and great tolerance and adoption. Yeah. So the fact that these can cohabitate in, in his heart, is it's a really like indicting thing for for us as readers to say, like, wh- what, do, what do we get excited about? Saying, yeah. no, that's un- unacceptable. And then meanwhile, we're fine letting that, this other thing live in our hearts and yes. our homes.
1: Yeah. The, the, an- another verse that reinforces that is verse 31. Right after God says, well, you d- you've done well taking care of Ahab, so I'll give you four, ye- four generations. Mm-hmm. Yet, mm-hmm. Jehu was not careful to keep the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. Mm-hmm. Um and there were uh, consequences for that, you know, that the size of the territory of Israel starts to shrink and things like that. So it like this, this tension of when you follow through on one thing and yet and, and, and follow through on one thing and yet let that overflow into a kind of zeal that is unhealthy. Yeah. And then on the other hand, tolerate a whole bunch of other things. Yeah. It's I, I want to feel like Jehu is different from us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because um, we're not slaughtering people, but, and yet that pattern Feels far too familiar, mm-hmm. far too familiar. Of like, I take take a hard line on this, but well, basically ignore the else. It
2: gets down, he had a hobby horse of veil worship, and that happened to align with something that was plaguing God's people for generations. And yet, he didn't actually have a heart for the Lord. Like we 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 just see mm-hmm. that he was against something that that the Lord happened to be against, and God used him to eradicate that thing. But he, this it was not evidently born out of a wholehearted devotion to worship God Himself. And so this is where we can like, again, take up things that we we have our own hobby horses about and they might be good and right. But if our goal ultimately is not to align our hearts with God, but rather to just champion some value or some cause or thing, then we actually haven't, we haven't uh, accomplished what God would most want us to to do.
1: Yeah. I was just, I was reading a a book, it was a history book and it was talking about Mm -hmm. Christian leaders who had done some really like amazing things Mm -hmm. And yet they own slaves or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there were these things where it was like that the way they spoke out on one issue mm-hmm. um, was really bold. And then when someone said, well, what about this? And, and from our historical vantage point, we say, oh, well, racism or, you know, injustice to this group of people or whatever mm-hmm. is something we would instinctively say, yeah, that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they were like, eh, I don't know. So like there, there are, and, and that's just one example. And sometimes it's from the perspective of an outsider that you can see the inconsistency. We look at Jehu and it's obvious. I wonder if Jehu looked at himself and said, no, I'm doing pretty good. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah.
0: It's so familiar that if you dial all the way to the end of the book to Revelation and you have the address to the seven churches where Jesus is saying, I see you. And then there's critique and commendation, right? So, and, and he often starts with commendation. So he'll say, I see this about this group of believers, like the believers in Philadelphia or some other, some other city. And... He'll say things like, and he'll list things. I commend you for this, this, and this. And yet, at the same time, I hold these things against you. Mm-hmm. And so to to think about our lives or our congregation's life collectively and say, what would be the things that the Lord would point to and mm-hmm. commend and what would be the things that he'd point to and critique?
2: I think that's a good word, especially when we assess, you know, uh, the health of churches and our ourselves and our own ministries as pastors, this is one of the most sobering realities for me. There is a notion out there that, that some people hold probably implicitly that says, if your ministry is healthy, if it is bearing fruit, if it is doing good things, that pastor must have his life together. His heart must be right. And, and the reality is we have passages like this and a whole host of other ones in, in scripture that, that show actually God can use somebody for his good purposes mm-hmm. whose heart is pretty messed up at the very least compromised or divided. So that that's always a really good reminder to me uh, to say, no matter how much fruit is being born under my leadership, like that actually is not at all indicative of my own personal spiritual health. And I shouldn't take
1: that for granted. Yeah. We are, we are already starting to move into message territory. We've, we've, we've uh, gone uh, a step beyond just observing and, and seeing what's there to talk about what it means, which is really good. That's kind of naturally what we're supposed to be doing. But let's, let's try to crystallize it a little bit here. If you were going to uh, come up with a, a sentence or a phrase to capture a message from this passage, what would you say?
2: Uh, th- there's a couple, but here's, here's one. Um, just because God calls you to do something doesn't mean that you could justify any behavior in doing that thing. Mm. There's a difference between the objective, the ends and the means. Yeah. So here's my second one. I should be careful not to let my passion for obedience in one particular area cause me to justify disobedience in some other area. I can't say, hey, I'm doing pretty well over here. So God's got to let this slide. This other thing is okay.
0: My message is, I don't know how to burn a stone. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> Now it, it's somewhere in that category of, okay, I can't get my brain to move away from the revelation text. Like the, the whole notion that God sees us completely, right? The, the places in our lives that are not right and the places that are right. And somehow he navigates all of that, right? So he can, he can re- reward Jehu, for his obedience and say, you'll have four generations on the throne. And also at the same time, see Mm -hmm. and deal with Mm -hmm. the downsides to Jehu's heart and behavior. And so I'm trying to, I'm trying to come up with like a Clayton pithy message. (laughs) Uh, God knows how to deal with the, the good sides and the bad sides of any individual.
1: Hmm. Uh, I think my message is, Deal decisively with idolatry, but make sure you go all the way. Hmm. So we've we, we've already talked about the excesses of Jehu, but there's also the that not going far enough <laughs> of saying I'm going to eliminate worship of this god, <laughs> and yet I'm going to tolerate this one. And I think I think there is uh, a patting ourselves on the back when we have dealt with one area of our life, <laughs> um, and you know, like like Corey, you said you, then we justify ourselves <laughs> in that other area. <laughs> but to say if I'm going to deal with idolatry in my life. I better go all the way uh, Mm -hmm. and and do that. All right, let's uh, go on to the second M in comma, which is meditation. And here's what I'm going to give you: 45 seconds to ponder. I I want you to ask God to show you what your however is. Okay, so that that's that passage where it says that Jehu destroyed, you know, uh, Baal worship. However, he didn't do this. So why don't you ask God, is there a however in your life where you're saying, I did this and I feel all right about this, but here's the thing I'm ignoring. Uh, Spend 45 seconds, or if you need to pause it and spend longer pondering that, let God show you uh, where there's something that you may be saying. However... All right, let's talk about the A in comma, which is application. How do we respond to this? What do we do? What difference does it make in our lives? So
2: you just described as a part of Jehu's, it, we described some of his potential mindset as justifying. I even use that word like justifying um, disobedience in one area because of High performing obedience in another area, but maybe it's maybe it's not as evident. Like we might be assuming that Jehu was readily aware of that. Of course, he should have been, but maybe it was so sort of baked into his psyche, into his his upbringing, his culture, the people he was surrounded with, that it actually wasn't bothering his conscience conscience uh, in, in the way that we might think. Maybe it takes some digging. So an application is to, uh not just do a heart check, <laughs> but, but to check our lives against scripture and to say like, Hey, is, is every time we encounter scripture, is there, is there something that is here that is beckoning me towards obedience? Um, and that, that maybe I didn't see before.
0: Mine would be very closely related to that. It is understanding the difference between confession and repentance. So if, if we actively engaged in the meditation that you you steered us towards and I become aware of something in my life. And if I agree with God that that thing is wrong, that's confession. And also if I ask God to forgive me, that's a form of confession. Repentance is stopping it and engaging in a different kind of behavior. So my application is to take the step beyond confession to actual repentance, which is behavioral change. Mm.
1: So as uh, thinking about this, the, the one of the reasons we end up with those places that we we don't deal with is uh, because it doesn't get a reaction for us. So um, when Jehu goes and deals with with you know uh, the this you know temple and these priests or whatever, it says <laughs> they turned it into a place that's a latrine. So like there's this like detail that says it's supposed to, it's supposed to be like this sin is as gross as this. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is mm-hmm. this is you know uh, filthy, and so. Um, there, there's clearly a strong visceral reaction of like no, hmm. in this this is disgusting or whatever. Um, but whatever the other the the other you know false worship was, it didn't obviously didn't cause that sort of a reaction in Jehu. And so I I actually wonder if uh, asking God to give me the right um, gut level reaction, hmm. just, how do you feel about this God? Because hmm. there may be some area where my my reaction is in line with yeah no I feel mm-hmm. strongly that that's not okay. And yet, it's not just knowing, it's not just becoming aware of it, but feeling that sense of, oh, no. Like, not not just that God is displeased with this, but I know why this is wrong. Mm. Like this the, the thing itself disgusts me, angers me, uh, I want to reject it. Like, that shift is a pretty profound mm. one um, where you aren't just concerned about the consequences, but the sin itself, um, and it motivates some, some action. So... Asking God to build that up for the things that I'm, I'm more likely to uh, let slide in my life.
2: And wouldn't that be a, a good thing as we're conformed more to the image of Jesus to actually have sin lose its appeal as we grow yes. in maturity to say, not only I'm resisting those things, but those things have
0: lost their attractiveness. Yeah, I don't how, want How great of a victory would that yeah. be? Yeah, Good conversation today. Corey, thanks for joining us Absolutely. this week. And everyone out there, thanks for listening this week. Join us again next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy reading schedule. And in the meantime, if you're not following along with the reading plan, check out biblesavvy.com to download it and to start reading along. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at biblesavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends and we'll talk to you next week.